Welcome to Digital Marketing for Financial Planners, the podcast where you learn which digital marketing strategies are working best for advisors. We interview financial planners who share what is working or not for their practice. Here is your host, Jake Wagner. Hello, this is Jake Wagner, and welcome to the Digital Marketing for FB podcast. Today on the show, we have Julie Johnson from XY Communication. Julie, welcome. How are you doing today? I am so well, Jacob. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I think that you have some wonderful insights to share with everybody. So on that, could you introduce yourself and your firm and just a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. So XY Communication, it's funny, it came out of a number of different scenarios, but I started my career as a wealth advisor Uh, 1996 was with Smith Barney here in Denver and then moved from Smith Barney to UBS in 2007, as luck had it. We managed about $1.2 billion in assets under management and had a wonderful group of people, wonderful group of clients. Needless to say, 2008-2010 were extraordinarily challenging, to say the least, as many on this call can empathize with and might have a little automatic heartburn. But uh, so my business came from my love of behavioral finance. And I started with the discussion of different genders in finance and how that's a challenge in that communication, right? But I was a little bit late to that game. I started with men are from Mars, women are from Venus in the financial world. And that was about 2015, 2016. And did the good old lunch and learns and a lot of public speaking and whatnot. I was very honored to get to speak at the Barron's conferences and the Fidelities and at that time, IMCAs and APEX and whatnot. And so the gender discussion, I was a little bit late to that game. And so, but I wanted to build my niche even more. I wanted to dig into additional aspects of behavioral finance. And that's what got me into the generational conversation, which we'll touch on more in a little bit. But I am a huge, I never like to call myself an expert because I, in my opinion, an expert means we're, we've learned everything that we can learn. And so, but I do think I'm an authority. I know a lot, but I'm always wanting to learn more. And that's where my passion lies is helping people figure out how to communicate and connect with the people they're speaking with depended upon gender, generation, demographic, et cetera. So how do you work with financial planners? So the way that I have, so I got into in the behavioral finance, I came back into the financial world after leaving the wealth advisory space, because that's where I've spent 20 years of my career. And I, I knew a lot of how the challenges, the pain points that wealth advisors are faced with all the time when connecting and building relationships with stronger relationships with existing clients and also networking and building new relationships, prospecting, et cetera. And I felt I had a lot to give and provide as far as how to help wealth advisors connect with their audiences. Again, peers, clients, prospects. 
and how to make sure that they are matching or mirroring their audience and therefore connecting in a greater sense with whoever they're speaking to. Because especially in this age of COVID, if you're not able and comfortable in a virtual world, a virtual setting, you're not able to still develop those deep relationships and those trusting relationships. It makes business development and maintenance of client relationships very challenging. So just really being knowledgeable of the financial space and feeling that that I could provide a great service as far as having that additional engagement in communication and connection. And then in the generational space, obviously there's a lot of changes that are occurring. Uh, The older generations and the younger generations basically sometimes speak a different language, cadence, vernacular, et cetera. And so it helps a lot to know your audience and be able to cater and mold your presentation to whomever you're speaking with. Could you give us some examples of what it is that you're talking about? Absolutely. So I was very fortunate to speak at the Barron's conference this past February. And the topic that they had me speak about was how do financial advisors make sure that they are staying ahead of the game as far as the new younger generation that's coming into the market, whether it be as peers wanting to become a part of your team and succession planning, whether it be making sure that you are working with your clients, not just as the patriarch or the the typical communication and relationship of the past, but making sure that you are building very strong and authentic relationships with the younger generations, the family members, everyone that's involved with the present and the future of the wealth building. And if you're not making sure to get engaged and have a strong, trusting relationship with the entire family, when those assets are left to the grandkids, kids, what have you, if you haven't done that, built that foundation and done that work, chances are very good that you will lose those assets because they will go to somebody that the child or grandchild does know and does trust. So it's so ahead of the game. So as a part of what you're talking about with this, you've mentioned both mirroring and um, and how we need to speak differently to different people. And the part of the end game here is also to make sure that you're creating, like by taking great care of a family and also by showing that care, not just to the client, but for the next generation, when that handoff happens, you're already in the right position, the place of trust to continue to manage those assets. And Conversely, if you end up speaking to somebody and your parents are great clients, but you aren't jiving, however you want to consider that, with the younger generation, when the assets move hands, it's it's more likely that those assets are going to go to a different firm. When I, I did my research before the Barron's conference, I found a number of statistics in Pew, uh, Cerulli, et cetera. I've got statistics coming out of my ears. But it said that the younger generations were 60% or more likely to move 
the inherited assets to a different advisor if there wasn't a trusting relationship there. So clearly it's not, oh, they managed and had a good relationship with my father or mother or both. And so they're probably trustworthy. I'm just going to stay with them. It's no, I've done my own research. I've done my own homework. I want to make sure that I'm with an advisor that I know that I trust that is in sync with what I am looking for, what I want to invest in, social impact. You know, those are all really important things with the, with the younger generations. So what about situations where like the, just to, I'm not a parent, but I've been a child my whole life. And something I'm thinking about, there's just a time where like the kid just kind of does the opposite of what the parents done just because it's what the parents done, not for another reason, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in the scenario. And sometimes I've kind of thought about it in the therapist sort of a sense where it's just like, well, I mean, I guess this planner is a match for the parent and that they're not as good of a match for this the, the kid in the, the G2. And so G2 goes and takes his assets to another firm that's just a better match. And I haven't really thought about that as competition necessarily. I'm aware that there's assets leaving a firm and other things like it, but hopefully you're also still positioning yourself so you're attractive to the younger firm. And you when in another place where someone's doing the same thing, you get the G2 assets rather than the other firm retaining them. So I think your, your question is, is there's sort of a dichotomy there? Yeah. The most important thing that a wealth advisor can do, in my opinion, is to make sure that, that, that they have as strong of a relationship as possible with their existing clients, that they're communicating again in a way that their client needs them to be as often as they need them to be with the data that they want to hear, et cetera, the things that are important to them. And then you're able to be very confident when you ask for an introduction to their kids. We were very lucky to work with the Benjamin Moore Paint family when I was an advisor. And we started with one client, $2.5 million. We ended up amassing 100 people in their family and $50 million. And we, it was so fun. We, I mean, they were a great group of people, very eclectic group of people. And we ended up doing annual seminars, annual retreats, and they were basically a family reunion. And we would have different breakout sessions that focused on what the different generations might want to hear. And anyone could obviously go to whatever session they wanted to. But the point is, You want to make sure that all generations realize that what they feel is important to the wealth of their family or the wealth of their than their own family is absolutely honorable. You respect, you know, all of the collaboration, all of the different ideas and that you will work with the family. I I get brought in a lot of times to family office discussions where if there's a real disconnect between what the older generation wants to invest in and what the younger generation wants to invest in, they bring me in so I can show the pros and cons of all of the above. 
and have it be a very collaborative discussion. Make sure everybody feels heard, honored, and respected, has had a seat at the table, and we walk away with everybody feeling like they've won. It's kind of like a mediation. <laughs> yeah. Not combative. And you're making sure to, from what you're saying, and this is something we do with our clients too, that it's a facilitation to help people find their own answer. And you bring skills and education to the game that help people in that entire process. But there's something I was thinking about when you were speaking was you really want to avoid getting in between the generations and being someone who can be blamed for something, whatever right. regard. <laughs> and so if you can going in and in a mediator type of an approach of here's the pros for this, the cons for this. Uh, Stephen Brody taught me a thing where it's called the 360 survey and uh-huh. um, yeah. a teacher at Creighton University. And, but yeah, <laughs> if you do do it, what are the pros? What are the cons? If you don't do it, what are the pros and what are the cons? And a little grid, just a X on a piece of paper is all you need. But man, it can provide some amazing answers. You know, so often people don't know what they don't know, right? And due respect, the older generation has been raised to believe a certain way, to feel that you know, stocks and bonds are kind of the way to go. The alternative world might be a little bit scary, a little bit uncomfortable. And then maybe the younger generations, they are obviously impact investing, social responsibility, more alternatives, private equity, things like that. And stocks and bonds are not necessarily as sexy or, or exciting. And so there, it's not right or wrong. It's just different, Right. So as long as you're achieving the goals of the family, the, the wealth goals and everything else that they want to fulfill, whether it's income or what have you, there's no right or wrong answer as to what they're investing in as long as it's the highest quality. So you come in and you yeah. give them, you educate them, you mentor them, give them all the facts, give them the stories behind why it matters. And then let them discuss it. Give them different why it doesn't matter too. I I think there's a lot to learn about with that as well. I mean, there is about investing based on your values, but at the same time, if you invest in Tesla, it does change their stock price, but at the same time, it doesn't change how many cars they produce. And there's (laughs) some real delicate balance in that. Exactly right. Yeah. So as you're talking, you're, you're demonstrating this, like, well, actually, one of the things that was coming up for me is yeah, different, how different generations are attracted to different types of investing. And yeah, and definitely seeing earlier, younger generations liking the ESG stuff. Also wondering if you ever seen like any, any big conflicts come up because of Bitcoin and crypto, because that's so much more popular with the younger people. I kind yeah. of view like a gold rush or at least gold mining, just virtually. But yeah, how is that? How have those conversations gone? So the fact that I'm not a wealth advisor enables me to sort of step outside of those specific conversations, but not meaning to be use a cop out. What I try to let people know is here are the facts, getting stuck on Bitcoin versus this versus that. Here are the pros and cons of each. And mm-hmm. More importantly, or in my opinion, more importantly, here's the benefit of the diversification of many. And so let's not get too stuck on the minutia of 
asset A versus asset B. It's okay. just, you don't want to get too sort of silly in the titles, in the what's what's groovy and what's not. Sorry, groovy is a very old word. But yeah. <laughs> um, you just kind of, again, it's a, it's a, it should be a collaboration and a discussion and try to keep it away from being a debate. Okay. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking that that's something that it's confusing and it's also kind of sexy. And so I could see why one person would be majorly for it. Another person being majorly against it. And just think I could see that being a source of conflict. And so part of what you're also talking about is how to navigate those con- conversations of conflict. And that maybe there's a point in that conversation. You might want a trained counselor a psychological professional rather than a financial professional for that. Right. (laughs) Well, and I think too, if worst comes to worst, or I shouldn't say worst comes to worst, but if it comes to this, all right, if you agree to a 2% allocation to Bitcoin, that's not going to have that massive of an effect on the overall portfolio. But that Mm -hmm. person who is really fighting for an allocation to Bitcoin, they get their way. They feel heard. Everyone has has a right to their say in these conversations, right? So this is this is them being respected and heard, even if it is this new wonky donkey crazy new kind of money stuff. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Sometimes it comes down to that. If you have someone that's just literally digging their heels in, like you said, because they can, not necessarily because it's purposeful. or accomplishes much, it, it in fact is probably counterproductive, but it is what it is and you can't control it. So you just have to be there to provide solutions. Yeah. And one of the ways that I, I know that you've talked to me about before is something called reciprocal mentoring. Yes. Um, could you, is this one of the tools that uh, you'd use in this kind of a situation? Absolutely. So reciprocal mentoring and reciprocal engagement. Reciprocal mentoring it's probably pretty self-explanatory, but you know, there's a lot of discussion about how the older advisors or older investors teach and educate the younger. But the younger generations don't always want to be taught by their parents or grandparents. They don't necessarily want to be taught by an older advisor that they feel doesn't speak their language. But If you say, listen, I want to share my experiences with you. I know where the bodies are buried, so to speak. And I think my ability also to build relationships and have conversations and, you know, make tough decisions during really hard markets that are very volatile. So we've had some strange days lately. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And it's not looking to change anytime soon. So they basically say, I want to, I want to share with you my experience and my knowledge. I would also love help becoming more efficient, becoming more productive, navigating my computer, (laughs) navigating my CRM, something like that. Or how do I use social media to Mm -hmm. further my business? I have no clue. So when you're not only wanting to impart your own knowledge and your own experience, but you're also asking the younger generation to help you with their knowledge, then they're like, it makes them maybe a little bit less defensive and more feel more valued 
And then therefore they're much more willing to sit at the table and work together. And it's, it's always, you want to set aside your ego and ask for help. Even though you may not want to do that, it may feel weird. It may feel uncomfortable or, you know, your own ego is getting in the way. Like, what does this kid know that I don't? Well, they actually know a lot. And, uh, you know, we were talking just before this conversation, I had to get a lot of help with my website, my, all of my computer skills. That is like, as you mentioned, that is not my top language in any way, shape or form. So if we're smart enough to recognize what our strengths are, and then what our challenges are, and we can find younger or older people who can fulfill and help us with those challenges, that's a fabulous opportunity for mentoring. Mentoring builds trust. It builds respect. It enables you to be vulnerable without judgment. And you, you find a safe space there. And there's so much to be learned. And same, um, a lot of work I do is with younger advisors, learning how to speak to and ask questions from older advisors or their older generations, because there's a lot of times where the younger generations don't necessarily know how to ask for what they want in a way that the older generations will actually want to hear them and engage. And so it goes both ways, 100%. And the irony in that, a lot of the older generations that I work with are like, why in the world are these younger generations so that you hear over and over the words entitled? Now, they've been with me for a year and they already think they deserve a raise or a promotion or a seat at the table or a vote. You know, I had to work for 10 years before I got any of that. You hear a lot of that, right? Well, the irony is a lot of the baby boomers that are complaining, they've raised these kids that are now Gen Zs and millennials to ask for what they want, to have a seat at the table, to feel that they get a vote because they got a vote growing up. They, they were asked questions and they wanted, the parents wanted them to collaborate with them on where they want to go to they on vacation. Where do you want to go to college? What's important to you? And I could get into the whole trophy just for showing up, but we don't need to go there. Um, <laughs> it's very important. My point in, in all of that is it's very, very important for each party to understand their strengths and what they can offer to the other person, but also know themselves well enough to know what they can learn and what they need to learn from the other person. Find somebody that characteristic-wise, character-wise, conversational-wise, you match up with and approach them to do mentoring with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I have a really good example to share. So at the beginning of my career in the early 2000s, I worked for a a think tank called the Integral Institute and based around the work of a guy named Ken Wilber. And one of the other teachers who came, and I have a psychology bachelor's degree, that's my background, how I came to marketing. But before that, we actually had one teacher come and she's a psychologist and this adorable, probably mid 60s or something at the time, German woman 
And I just <laughs> deeply respect the work that she's done. The, the, there's some of the instruments that she's made and frankly, the amount of time that she's put into actually creating valid data for looking at these different levels of consciousness and how that grows and how to determine it. And it was exactly what you're talking about, early 20-something out of college. And that what end like she just needed help with her computer. And I had to give her a fair amount of help and just go and fix things. But it was stuff that was frankly easy for me. Right. And that it was impossible for her. And she's very frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. And and she's a one of a kind teacher. And so everything that I learned from her was just it wasn't gold, it was platinum. I was so grateful. And we were able to have that crosstalk. And I was able to do the what I call multi-chin sort of a conversation where I shared my wisdom, she shared hers, and we were both better for it. Absolutely. Now, we are our own worst enemies. We get in our own way, right? It's our own. The biggest challenge to building very trusting relationships is ego, typically. If we don't ask for help or we're afraid to ask for help or whatever, we think we should know more than we really know. And who are these people to tell us how to do what we think we know how to do better than they do? But just Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Absolutely. Um, Stephen doesn't hear me refer to it as an oldie, but a goodie. But anyway... (laughs) One of his, he's had some sequels. He's had a couple sequels on that first one my, book. So one of my yeah. favorite ones that you wanted me to, to bring in is one of my favorite generational books. It's called Sticking Points. Mm-hmm. And Stephen was a co-author of Sticking Points. It's a fabulous book about how different generations get stuck in silly things like what to wear to work and whether or not to wear sandals and other things that of course are even more important. But anyway. So he, yeah, he's had a phenomenal run of, of many great books, but his effective habit number five, seek to understand and then be understood. And I think that that delves into every level of life. If you, no matter who the relationship is with, if you're trying to develop a relationship with your child, your parent, your family member, friend, peer, client, prospect, if you're seeking to truly understand them and be of service to them, you're building a relationship. You're not selling. It's not hard. And it honestly alleviates a lot of stress and a lot of, you know, when I had that sort of epiphany that every phone call I have is a conversation. And if I can be of service to that person, awesome. If not, I've made a new connection. And maybe eventually when that relationship has been built enough, I can ask them for referrals of people that they feel I would bring value to. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, and as you bring value, that's a part of what actually makes that referral process happen for sure. I mean, one of the things that uh, I've been taught and have said is that it's not happy clients that refer, it's successful clients that refer. You know, when they feel the results, when they see that transformation, when that difference has been made in their lives, then they want their loved ones to have that same joy and that same liberation. That's so true. And when you can say, hey, 
I just want to make sure that that your family and friends are being taken care of. I'm not going to go in and do a hard sell, but I would love to at least have an opportunity to give them a review, a second opinion, and mm-hmm. want to give them the comfort and the peace of mind to know that their financial plan is going to fulfill their goals the most efficient way possible and the least amount of fees, best value, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that in your heart, even in this virtual world of screen to screen, you do the eye contact, you you ask the good questions and you truly care, then the relationships will come. They will absolutely come, especially when you know how to ask for them. Well, and one of the things we were talking about in the past was also how to just make the best connection possible through this Zoom world as well. And just and there's little things like just one of the little tips that we're talking about is that we are using our cameras right now. And one of the things we also made sure to do, and I encourage you guys to do, is to actually just put the camera window, like put the, the video that you're seeing the other person on, put it near your camera. For me, I'm on a Mac, so it's at the top of the screen. But it makes it so that I'm looking at Julie and that Julie's also looking right at me and we can feel that connection going through the virtual space. And meanwhile, if you have that video over on your second monitor and you're looking over here and you're typing over here, it looks extremely distracted with that as far as body behavior. And so it's something I think that we really need to just bring awareness to and, and bring awareness to a box, that there's sort of a box that a little bit above your head and it's about a hand width past your shoulders and just right about the heart level and that tends to be sort of the space that our hands and our our expressions can be seen in and understanding how we're using that is uh, one of our major tools to be able to reach across the screen and to the other side of the looking glass couldn't agree more to add to that a little bit, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this have done their homework, and so this might be a little bit repetitive, but making sure you've got a really solid background. It's clear, it's clean. Maybe it, if, you're a, if you've won some awards or you have your CFP or what have you, you've got maybe your certificate is hung behind you. There's as little distraction as possible. We all have dogs barking or the trash pickup or whatever, you know, neighbor has construction, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, it is what it is. And so don't let that distract you or get you frazzled. We just all have to be very patient and full of grace as we give these presentations. One other thing I believe that's very important. My daughter coins it. I'll use the acronym RBF. Make sure that, uh, so it's resting four-letter word, face. (laughs) (laughs) That one. Right? You want to make sure that you're smiling or at least you have your your facial expression is attentive, right? You're not sitting here like, oh, dear God, is this all over yet? You're engaged and you're sitting up and your shoulders are back and, you know, again, the eye contact and all of that stuff. It's Mm -hmm. funny, but it's when many of us are literally on Zoom calls for hours and hours every day. It is very challenging to stay attentive 
and engage. Yeah, and even how our eyes focus on screens and motion and stuff, it's disconcerting for us on a biophysical level too. Zoom fatigue is very real. Yeah. So, so true. So if I may, a couple of points that I would love to just kind of make from a, a sales development and a connection, virtual world connection, couple tips. Oh. I I had one thing I wanted to mention on this last chapter, which I view as very much talking about the relationship between generations. And I learned just a wonderful fancy word. It's juvenoia. And what, yeah, what juvenoia is, and there's a, um, there's some YouTube channels that are wonderful, wonderful for this. Uh, Mindfield is, I think, the one that I learned it off of. But what it is, is it's, It's everything we know from especially the 60s, where the older generation, if you're over 30, you know, you're you're too old and you're tuned out, man. And anyone younger 30 and then 30, you got it. And, you know, that's continued like I'm the next generation down and I had my own experience with that. And I'm seeing it with Gen Z and the next generation that's growing. And, oh, those adults, they just they just forgot how to play. Yeah. And so what juvenoia is, is it's actually been documented to be happening since like the 1400s. That wow. Basically, you look at the older generation and you think that they just aren't in touch. They just don't get it anymore. They're and lame. The younger generation. And you're like, what? The, that is scary that what those people are doing. That's just outright absurd. How on earth could they be so... Yeah, bold, risky, casual, whatever you want to put in there. But apparently we've had the same phenomenon going on for hundreds of years. So we can rely on it as a part of what that means and and also as an obstacle and as a tool. And so this is something to just bring voice to those intergenerational conversations. And um, maybe it's even just over the holidays where you have one conversation with a niece or nephew that you don't get enough time with and you feel how that goes. and then talk to an uncle or a grandparent and how different that conversation is. Oh, yeah. Into that. Nine yeah. day. Nine day. So now let's bring it back to the business a little bit more okay. and how you were going to talk to us about, uh, yeah, some some business etiquette in a pandemic. Sort of world. takeaways. So yeah. to your point, when I do, when I was doing keynotes last year and actually had big screens and whatnot, a lot of times I, there's the big controversy about everyone wearing hoodies, right? Even in the office and how the older generation thinks that's so incredibly inappropriate and their ties or at least a, a business jacket, et cetera. And I would put up two slides, one of a 70s hippie and one of somebody in a hoodie. And I would just say, look, you guys aren't the first ones to challenge what we wear to work, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then you go to Birkenstocks and flip-flops. And so there's, like you said, it's, it's kind of like what we wear. It's, that's why there's like, we need a word for it. Juvenoia yeah. is real. We are absolutely repeating the same pattern, yeah. different way it gets reincarnated each time, but it's the and same pattern every generation. Everyone thinks they're the first ones to have the argument and to have the struggle. But mm-hmm. it's a different struggle, a different argument, but it's an argument that's happened often. Well, and I think when we learn from history as well, and just following that entire adage, just understanding how the hard work that happened in the civil yes. rights movement portion of things, that that laid groundwork 
that now is being brought up in the Black Lives Matter movement. And some of that's for good and some of that's for bad, too. This right. is, you know, it includes like the, the great stuff we accomplish and the baggage. Exactly. No, mm-hmm. exactly true. So to switch a little bit, sorry to get businessy for a few moments as we wrap up. A couple points that I want to make sure that we touch on are if in this virtual world, especially if you are reaching out to people who you thought were just a dead, done, the deal was closed prospect, you're, they said they were going to send you their statements and you're like, great, I'm going to send you the paperwork. We're, we're moving on. We're good to go. I've landed this. And then all of a sudden, crickets. <laughs> and you're like, and you drip on them, right? You you touch base and still crickets. One email, however you best communicate, however they want to receive your communication, if it's text, email, even tweet, whatever it might be. Direct Instagram message. Simple words that seem to get their attention and get them to respond back to you is are you okay? There's a lot going on in the world these days. I just wanted to make sure you and your family are good. Please let me know that you're okay. And I will almost guarantee you that 70 to 80%, say you send 10, 20, 30 of these, 70 to 80% of those people will at least respond. And then, it, and then what you do with that connection is up to you. And if you want help with that, of course, let me know. I'd be happy to help you. Um, navigating LinkedIn is a huge, how to break through the noise there. Having me questions that are different and not salesy. If I have one more person say, hey, we have contacts and some, in, we have similar contacts. Can we connect and talk? And I'm like, that's, that's not meaningful enough to me that makes me want to reach back out to you. But if it's something where you can get a lot of information about a person on their social media, their LinkedIn page, their Facebook, their Twitter account. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be creepy. These are public. Yeah, these are public sites. You can go on their Facebook and see that they're playing with their dogs and you can mention your love of dogs or whatever. So you don't have to mention something about their dogs, which that might be a little creepy. That's a little, yeah, there's, and there's also an etiquette line yeah, that's very line different sure. between LinkedIn versus Facebook. So, in, in the LinkedIn world, I, and I've told people this in the last week in presentations, but that stalking somebody on LinkedIn is appropriate. Oh. If someone lets you in through the Facebook wall, that's a big thing. And I have many professional friends that I'm connected with on Facebook and, and it absolutely helps me. I think about them a lot with what I choose to put on Facebook, but I also don't want to connect with every single business friend. There's probably like a 20 to 30% overlap because I love you guys, but same time, like there's a certain voice for the business world and where let's call it research and let's call it biz dev. And it's also, I think it's respectful to learn about your client or your prospect. Shows that you can. Yeah. Going and and commenting on, uh, I don't know. Yeah. A dog is probably fine, you know, something like that. But, oh, you were at this intersection with your dog last Tuesday. (laughs) Probably not the tone you want to use. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, avoid stalker. But 
insane the amount of information you can learn about a person by looking at their LinkedIn. I mean, if you're tuned in to, to what to look for, you can learn a lot. And I mean, yeah. learn their approximate generation because they probably say what years they went to college. So you know their approximate age. And that tells you, that opens up a whole host of information about what might matter to them. How you're approaching a 60-year-old man is going to be very different than how you're approaching a 35-year-old man or a woman and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And also, I want to say that, folks, if you haven't listened to the podcast I have with uh, the Crystal Nose Company, just a couple back in the order there, they have a LinkedIn extension, Chrome extension, where it'll tell you about the person who you're looking up, tell you about their disk profile which then gives you insight into the personality. And it's a wonderful resource. They also have a bunch of other personality test things that'll give you insight along the lines of what Julie's sharing with us here. That's so cool. And it just helps you to then mold your message to something that probably matters to them. Mm -hmm. And again, you got to remember, it's not about you, it's about them. When you're trying yeah, and the way that they want to be talked to and the way that yes. they're going to naturally receive what you have to say and have it just be as easy as drinking tea. You know, That's exactly just a nice, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the more exactly you can do that, exactly. the better. And some people have a dominant personality and they want something to be presented very directly and just tell me what it is straight up. Don't mince words. Just say it. I'll tell you what I think. Some people, they want you to relate. Other people want to know that they're being heard or being demonstrated how you can recognize the support that they're providing to the entire group. Um, Partnership. Yeah. And they're different voices. And they're also, if you're thinking in traditional sales stuff, frankly, it's different answers to sales objections. Even it's important to know this stuff. Yeah, absolutely true. Like using, so a lot of us know it's when you go to a doctor and you receive a diagnosis that you don't like, you're going to go get a second opinion, or the doctor may ask you to get a second opinion. That works more with an older generation, right? Where with a younger generation, you talk about experiences, feelings, peace of mind, building a partnership with all, you always honor what their objection is, right? You never feel defensive or make them feel defensive or wrong. But then knowing how the net, what is the next question? What is the next step? So that you can keep that conversation going and hopefully engage them to at least let you give them a second opinion or maybe take a portion of the portfolio or whatever the case may be. But you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah, I think that, so you know, that. What else do you want to make sure people know here? We're getting close to the end of our time together yes. today. Yes, we could talk about this for hours, I'm sure. Absolutely. Kind of already have. And if you want to talk about it with Julie for hours, please make sure to reach out to her, guys. Great. And I will, uh, Jacob's going to provide my contact information at the end of this. So thank you so much. So another thing that's very important, a mantra that I have is get curious, don't get defensive. What I mean by that is ask questions. Again, seek to understand. Remember that semantics matter. The words that you use, whether it be an email, tweet, what have you, make sure to always put at least a please and a thank you. It's very easy for us in this world that we're doing so many things, firing things off so quickly that we may sound very direct and maybe sometimes almost rude. So Mm -hmm. take 
second, read what you're sending before you send it, put in a please and a thank you or whatever the case may be to make it more engaging and more friendly. Um, and those are really, so, oh, a couple of books. You wanted me to, to mention a couple of books that I love. Yeah, some it's, great resources the folks yeah. that want to look up to just dive a little bit more into this process. So as far as generational opportunities and challenges, two of my favorites are the one I was talking about before, Sticking Points. One of the co-authors is Stephen Covey. And another one, you'll giggle at the title, I know I did, was Not Everyone Gets a Trophy. <laughs> I did. Right. Bruce Tulgan, T-U-L-G-A-N, is the author of that one. Both great reads. And I don't know about you guys, but the only time I really read is when I'm listening to it on Audible, because otherwise that's the only way I know I'll get it done. Conversational Intelligence is a wonderful book that talks about how to build relationships in this day and age. And that is written by Judith Glasser, which is a very well-known author. And then again, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great one. The main thing is, remember, seek to understand and then be understood. Put other people first and you'll go far. Thank you, Julie. Thank That's you. That's a wonderful note for us to wrap up on here. <laughs> so, folks. I want to thank Julie from XY Communication for coming on the show. And again, probably easiest, you'll find links in the both in the show notes and then also in the blog post for this episode. Probably have the most details on the blog post for this. We'll probably just have a link over in the show notes. And with that, Julie, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. This has been such a wonderful conversation. It's been really fun. Thank you so much, Jacob. But it's been an honor. Yeah, it has. And thank you guys for listening in. I really appreciate it. And make sure to share this episode with anyone that you think might learn something from it. And with that, we'll see you guys on the next episode of Digital Marketing for Financial Planners. Take care.